Hey guys, welcome back. BDCKR here. We're back with Season 7, Episode 7 of our weekly Q&A videos. You can listen to this as a podcast by clicking on the links in the description. And we normally talk for longer here, but let's just get right into the questions. No wasting time, no messing around. Uh, we're going to follow up on some of the stuff that we talked about last week. We got through some of uh, Stalmaria's content last week, and we're going to finish up on that this week. And just go through the last few while they're uh, still relatively f- fresh. So we've got some questions. The first one uh, is, do you guys always stick to top 1% on online every week? It's nearly impossible for me because I can't complete seven matches and trying to sustain it before led to me being 10 places off top 1% for the Masters Death Cart week. Mm. Um, not every week, but a lot of weeks, I yeah. want to say. Yeah. Only because, I mean, I think with Phantom Zone, what I motivated the most by actually, it's not even like I spend it, but to know what a legitimate account can have when it's got max out Valorium mm-hmm. with no cheating. And it's not that hard. I guess that's probably a function of spending too much time on the toilet and not reading the newspaper <laughs> instead. Yeah. But, um, you know, like a couple of ultimate runs, most of the time it's been pretty good. And sometimes in the middle of the night, I think I wake up. If I can't fall back asleep, I'll do a couple of rounds and then I nod off again. Yeah. So, but... Almost every week. Yeah, and I guess the point really is most weeks you don't need it, right? The most weeks we don't need it because the characters have been around long enough that we've got as many copies as we want for their promotion, and yeah. we've got extras if we wanted to promote them further. And when it's a gear week, you only need to get the gear, right? Top 5%. It used to be that Reverse Flash was like top 3%, mm-hmm. and I think I think the last time they fixed it so it became top 5% like everything else and put it brought it in line with everything else. Yeah, I don't remember. It, the problem is now, because it matters so little... We don't, almost don't pay attention. Right, the number of characters we get. And we've got sort of two accounts now that we've maxed out that are legitimate. One completely and one mostly. Yeah. So, um, it's it's hard to pay attention. So, we, we don't always do top 1%, but we're pretty close most of the time. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's just... It almost happens naturally. It's not like we're shooting for top 1% versus right. top 5%. Most of the time, we're fine with whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then next question, what counts as early, middle, and late game in Injustice for you? Because it would definitely give me an idea of what to do, because I don't really have a particular thing I want to work on for this week, as I'm personally not bothered about Flashpoint Aquaman, because it's going to be ages before I can get him anywhere near Elite 5. I can try and do top 3%, but it's quite difficult because I accidentally Elite 6 to my Luchador Bane and just cruise before knowing I could get max battle points with all Elite 5, so matchmaking is terrible. Alright, so that's an interesting question, because those are terms we throw around, and in my real life, I... I need to when i speak to people i need precision yeah so i tend to avoid that kind of language without defining it first Mm -hmm. so but it's interesting because for us it's i think it's very nebulous for me early game is probably the point where you don't have a roster built up where you can play all people that you like without any gaps where you have to put in somebody that you don't really particularly enjoy i'd say my cutoff for early would be even Earlier than that, even before you've got a full roster. I feel like two sets of gold teams for me. I think when you can farm bonus battle six yeah. is what is the threshold for early game. Okay. And I guess that would define the starting of middle game as when you farm it and you can spend, well, not all that you want on power credits, but you've got access yeah. to a lot of power credits. And you can, then you have a really hard, then you have the hard decision between when it's a real decision yeah. between direct promotion or buying packs with and gear credits. and gear 
and gear. The, that's the interesting thing is that we've never actually like played properly for early, middle, and late game from scratch with the way that the game is right now. Because our early oh, game, right. our early game happened when it was very different from what early game would look like now. Because you know, gear, right? right There's a right. lot of other considerations for for systems where when we were playing, it was basically just get characters, and that was it. Right, get characters and play characters. It's like the difference between making the full progress or riding. It feels like it's riding the wave actually. Because yeah. once we hit max uh, level four, elite five, mm-hmm. we were already maxed. And then when they introduced stuff, we sort of rode the edge. We were pretty much close to the edge of being yeah. um, as maxed out as you could so be. So that, that's what we consider, I guess, early and uh, the sort of the barrier between early and mid game. What would you say between mid and late game? Because to me, it, that's hard. I feel like that starts to be when you have like a good team that is like when you step into late game is when you have a good team or two for online multiplayer with a good set of like gear that you can consistently win I think if you can consistently win an ultimate battle with a team, then you're in late game. Yeah, I think I, I think we're generally in the same area. Part of the way I define late game is by multiplayer success. Yeah, and how well you can decide. Like you can you can decide to be top. Let's say two percent. I think two percent. Like yeah. the difference between three percent and two percent is is a bit of a jump in yeah. terms of the reward. And I think if you can consistently get in two percent. But that depends also a lot, not on just what you have, but how much you can play in a week. Well, without so the qualifier then is that you, you don't have to work that much. That it's it's comfortable without feeling like. When you say that much, how many hours are we talking? You know what I mean? I think because I think different people have different schedules. You know. I think if we're talking, let's say if you needed to put in thirty minutes a day, yeah, and you could hit top two percent. Okay, and that's your sort of cutoff for late game. Because I guess thirty. All right, so let's say we do our speed speed run with Flashpoint Batman. Yeah. Each run of Ultimate is about fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. And if you can uh, do a speed run, speed run should be easy, like seven eight minutes. So let's say outside ten minutes, thirty minutes, you do three Ultimates. That's one hundred fifty thousand. One hundred fifty thousand times seven is seven hundred and that's just over a million. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a team that can do, you can play. 30 minutes a day, you get mm-hmm. a million in most weeks is good enough in Android at least for close to the threshold of 1% except unless it's a popular week. Yeah. So most of the time that's good enough for 2%. Okay. So I think to me that's linking because you don't have to have a full roster. You don't have to have whatever. You just have to have a team that's good enough and fast enough. Yeah. And then you can take your time to build up the rest of your collection. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I think one of the things is in answering this question that should have been become a little more clear is that it's not an exact definition for us right Right. we don't have an exact sense of what it is uh it's just more we talk in a sort of vague sense about what your goals are right because i think everywhere up until late game your goal is getting your team better for resource acquisition whether that's online or single player or survivor what you said resource acquisition because i've defined both both edges the same way yeah both are resource acquisition so in the but going from early to mid game, you suddenly are more successful in getting power credits. Yeah. And in between middle and late game, you are much more successful in battle points. Exactly. And then once you're in late game, it's more about choosing what you want and sort of shoring up your roster and expanding your options that can all sort of work in the same space. Right. So it sounds like you're sort of in mid to late game in our estimation where. You're still having some trouble with online multiplayer, but you are 
sort of able to get in the, the top five percent. Yeah. yeah, at the top, that's definitely a threshold. Yeah, I mean, if we're gonna be dividing it up into really like sort of big groups, like three, I, I think you could talk about it, like within each group. Obviously, there's gonna be different levels of, mm-hmm. of um, success and progress. Yeah, but uh, that's an interesting question. I don't think we've ever been not so much challenged, but um, asked specifically. Yeah, it's it could be we use the concept to me. We use that a lot. Yeah. Huh. But it was nebulous. Okay, so there we've learned something ourselves too yeah, about yeah. what we mean when we say early, middle, and late game. Yeah. Uh, next question: Is there any way for me to get Raven Prime? She's one of the best cards in the game because of her utility in both online and Survivor. I think she's in the challenge pack. I mean, it the challenge pack is always such a weird thing because it it's been different a lot of different ways, a lot of different times. Yeah, for sure. Because there was long for the longest time. Who was it that didn't have a repeat? It was oh, one of the hot I girls. Forget. It might actually be worth doing another challenge track video, just because we're pretty locked in now in terms of updates. That information's yeah. not likely to update, and we never—you never know until you check with that, because they do change it, and they don't always right. make it fully clear. And sometimes it has to do with—I know that I can't remember which pack it was, but it had to do with um, one of the Enthmel packs, I think, where yeah. there's certain characters. It looks like it's relatively easy to get if you've already got it in your collection. Yeah, but you can't get it if it's not in your collection. Mm-hmm. So, all right, so that's... Uh, so, probably, and that might be upcoming content, potentially. Well, and your exam's over. So that's true, yeah. Right? I'm going to so have a lot of extra time on my hands pretty My soon. work, I, I am... Un- I, I want to say unfortunately, but it's not unfortunate. The fact that I still have a job and can work during the pandemic... It's quite fortunate. It's, it's quite fortunate. It's a mixed, it's, mixed blessing. This is a first world problem. Yeah. Where I still don't have enough time where to you make have more the, videos. Where you have work, Yeah. and I, I will not have anything, and I probably won't be able to start what I normally right. do for work because right. of the way that things are right now. Yeah. 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 So there we go. Uh next question is is containment doomsday a good substitute for doomsday prime for the vanilla team or not? And if any, what adjustments to gear setup would I have to make? I think containment doomsday is an excellent Containment Doomsday is just a fun character to play with. Oh yeah. Um the Oh and a great counteract a great counter actually as a tank to Tantu Totem. Yes. Just because well, of the revives. Sure. The way that the revives sure. break up your health pool, it makes it way less likely for people to get their power back on you. Yeah, so so it's funny about uh, Containment Doomsday, because if you face a Flashpoint uh, Batman, though, yeah. he can eliminate your revives, which is bi- your biggest power. Containment Doomsday is spectacular in a lot of ways, as long as you take advantage of him where he's the strongest player in your team mm-hmm. by stats, or he's equal, because any time you have passive or gear... That lets you have an advantage against similar stat. Yeah, characters. when you get to hide stats away, you get to squirrel them away in a secret place that online matchmaking can't come and take from you. Right, because his his passive does two things. It gives him extra health. Yeah, it gives him what, like two hundred fifty percent health? Is it fifty percent each time? No, 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 no. I think it's lower. I can't off the top of my head. I can't remember. It might be like thirty percent, in which case so, it would yeah. be like just under two hundred percent. But health. it's still because his health is compartmentalized like that. So even let's say against killing Joe Joker. When oh I've got a nice clip of killing Joe Joker where we're facing him and we you have to manage potentially uh, uh, two other opponents coming in with full with power supers because it's it's a bad decision right like either you wait it out and you make and you the let him drag whack on. you a lot yes and great at damage or killing if, Joe Joker or you've got to do it really fast so yeah. th- that's why the teams where the killing Joe Joker has low health 
is easier, right? But yeah, because then you know you just let them swap out. They don't actually can't. have the stats to whittle your way. But if they're fully maxed out, you have to take them out because killing Dorker is a threat, even if you're blocking the whole time. That's right. Unless you have good blocking well, here. Well, that's I think the mistake that we see on teams is that they leave killing Joe Joker as, as relatively weak. So the cost, if you want to do that, however, it's still because of the ways are are the ways our different teams are set up. We can usually afford to just knock him out anyways, whether he's mm-hmm. strong or weak, and eat some of the supers. Yeah. Um, and still still have a relatively fast finish. So, But I've got a good clip. I've got one good example of that where um, we kill a killing joke joke right away and still manage the other two relatively quickly. Yeah, so there we go. Um, did we get to the point or did we get Yeah, it's a great substitute. You, we oh. sort of answered it right away and then just got oh. into the weeds about but, why he's good. But that's the first part only. The, the second part is that uh, his, his damage gets boosted each time he yeah. revives. Which is just a happy little bonus. You, don't, you wouldn't even need that. Oh, yeah, for sure. For him to be good. Right, so um, a good way to gear him would be with his own spikes because yep. you get the damage boost, you get healing on special one, mm-hmm. and you get unblockable chance. The way he is, um, I mean, he gets a bar of power each time he revives, too. Yeah. A bar and a bit. I think it's like bar and a half or bar and a third or something. Something like that, yeah. It feels like it's less than bar and a half, and it's definitely more than one. But the, the benefit is that he's... His his own gear is really good for him. Yeah, and he not only is a tank, he his attack ramps up. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I loved him. That was the reason why. I mean, way back when, before Tantu Totem, and when basic damage was the most important thing. Like if you're going to build a team yeah. around some concept, basic damage was it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when we had our what people end up calling the BDCKR special. Yeah, elsewhere flash. Um, uh, containment Doomsday, also known as Pickle Suit Doomsday, Pickle Suit. Oh, as you God. love to Pickle call Pickle Suit them. Doomsday. It's you know what? It's the color. It's he the color and the texture, it. like to, the texture of his costume, which has sort of become re-relevant with the you know the Pickle Rick meme. Oh no no no! What, oh, okay, is that well, Rick and Morty? It sounds like there's it a be Rick, Rick and Morty, Morty thing. Well, there's Pickle Rick initially, but now there's a secondary ironic meme where people just say it, where it's talking meta textually about Pickle Rick. Where the meme is just, he turns himself into a pickle. Funniest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> where, where it's almost, it's like a, a second layer of irony making fun of Rick and Morty fans now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, where was I? Oh, and last guy's regime, um, regime Green Lantern. Yeah. For power generation. Um, because back then, he was, Raging Green Lantern was the most important. Before Tandu Totem, he was one of the most important characters because he boosted power generation. The number that it states on his card doesn't seem like a lot, but it did so much more than a particular piece of gear, and he's doing it for two teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, so both of Elseworld Flash and Containment Doomsday were excellent basic damage dealers. Yeah, They were great at mitigating the opponent specials. Um, Flash with bullet time, and mm-hmm. else, uh, Containment Doomsday with uh, his revives. Yeah, And Elseworld Flash his stats matched Doomsday really well. Mm-hmm. So they were both low so that you'd get great matchups. If you kept them sort of relatively low, and when I say low, I mean E, Elite 7, but no augmentations or health damage, Yeah. You, the first fight would be maybe 400. Like, you'd be just below the threshold of 500, and then you'd ramp up to 500 after, like, three fights. Mm-hmm. So they give you almost maximum uh, battle you, points. 4,000, right? And 5,000? I can't remember. I think it was like three thousand five, and then four, yeah. and then four, or five, four, five, and then five. Yeah. Um, so, and they were fun to play with because they both did. Like I love Flash. To, mm-hmm. For the longest time, Elsewhere Flash was the best Gold Flash. 
And yeah. because it, it, the best part before they, they nerfed them was watching somebody come in. Remember what? When, oh, yeah, and when it would totally stop their specials. Arkham Origins Deathstroke used to be the most deadly character because when the opponent played him, they, they set him up so that he would always crit, like 100%, not 100, 200% every time. Yeah. And so every hit would crit. And then if, but that was before Astro Harness, they'd all die. Mm-hmm. So the beauty of it was, you could leave Elsewhere Flash, and he would eat it, and in the middle Stop of him, it, yeah. Yeah, it would be great. And then he'd be all, like, stunned, and you could make him do, like, the worm. Yeah. And one thing I will also say about Containment Suit Doomsday, uh, I still think overall it's probably not worth it as a gear, but if for some reason, uh, he, he's, I think you can argue that he's probably the best person to also put health boosting gear on, just because of how many times you get the effects of the health gear over and over well, again. Well, that's true. Or maybe like a healing gear even. Because once he's down, you push him back up. I'm, but I'm saying a healing gear is good, but a health gear is good too because that percentage actually gets applied a couple times over. So I still oh, think overall right. it's not worth it, but because you get to hide the stats, boosting his health proportionally has probably the biggest effect on him compared to any other character in the uh, game. Ah, you're right. You are... Yeah, that that is... Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's so, great. So, I mean, we still wouldn't do it, but if you, if you for some reason like health gear, that's a good thing to note. Or if you want to try how it feels to just have a ridiculous amount of health. He is one yeah. person, uh, I think, out of everybody, he's a person that I would most endorse putting health gear on. And I still probably wouldn't, but, you know, a, a straight max health boost gear yeah. is most effective on him, I think, compared to anybody else. Right, because the... Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because the, the the health boost on Doomsday yeah. is on his base stat, like it is for everybody else. Mm-hmm. So on somebody who's got a passive that boosts the base stat, like uh, yeah. Scorpion, mm-hmm. it, it's actually less. Mm-hmm. And on him, you get the full value plus plus. Uh, it triggers on every revive, yeah. Yeah, and because his health is actually the stated health pool is actually relatively low. Yeah, you don't get uh, punished as much in matchmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, you, that's a great so point. Go. That's a great point. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have again. These are all still Mario. We're working through them. Yep. Uh, trying to go not too slow so that we can get through them and answer some questions from other people but these are good questions too and i like this one a lot because it's gonna let me plug some stuff uh what kind of music do you listen to i've been just stuck with a lot of gorillas because they're all over the place in terms of genre so first off i gotta say gorillas is a good choice i don't know some gorillas. good stuff i don't know them. um i don't know what you would know i think i tried to show you gorillas actually and showed you the songs that you would know from them and you didn't feel good ink is the like i think the sort of more generic one Okay. So they've got, uh, that was from their, like, album Demon Days. I haven't listened a ton to Gorillaz. I've listened to some of their sort of, like, classic, like, that era stuff. Right. And a couple of their newer songs, too. Uh, and they're, the whole thing, Gorillaz is actually a little bit cool, um, where it's very conceptual, where the whole point is it's actually just one dude um, mm. that is the only consistent member. Uh, and it's, like, a, but they all, there's a band with a series of personalities, and they're all purely... Uh, digital so there's like one dude who's the musician and i think there's been a consistent animator or like director right. in terms of their aesthetic and their so when you talk about them as a band it's really sort of one dude's project uh oh, and like mountain had, goats yeah well mountain goats without is, identifiable band members and also mountain goats is not any more one dude's project right oh, no, it a, isn't? well there's been a lot of people with it for a long time it's just that john darneal is singer songwriter and so he ends up oh. stealing a lot of the thunder okay uh, and it gets talked about that way a lot okay um but yeah no so gorillas is quite good uh and he's done a ton of uh collaborations with different people so a lot of a lot of big artists have uh worked with him clint eastwood is really good um is another song from them clint oh, eastwood I've and feel good anchor like the two big that. ones uh 
they're like mainstream mainstream like Clint Eastwood was in Trolls okay the first Trolls movie they licensed it okay yeah um so Grills is quite good uh I'll recommend a couple things what I've been listening to a lot recently who I really really have fallen in love with his music is great Bug Hunter oh yeah yeah I've heard Bug Hunter really good uh Dear McCracken is wonderful uh Disco in the Panic Room is really good uh Be Glad I Love You is solid The Key to Being Lonely uh, Take It Back are some of my favorite songs from him, but honestly, almost his entire uh, repertoire is right. really good. Right. Him making Up Words, he recently re-released a song in acoustic, and Making Up Words is great. Right. Um, so yeah, highly recommend Bug Hunter, right. I can say, for sure. Right. Uh, and do you want to do some recommendations? I've been talking a little oh, bit about musical I, I don't know if so much recommendation, but I can talk about what I listen to. That's true. Um, I listen to... The, uh, I... It's funny because I pulled out some vinyl LPs recently, right? Mm-hmm. So I listened to a lot of late 80s, early 90s music in the car, mainly because I don't hear it on the radio so much. Mm-hmm. And it gives me a lot more joy. I mean, I used to listen to pop music all the time on the radio yeah. stations. And the problem with that is the same stuff gets played over and over. Mm-hmm. And what could be a good song gets killed. And I like listening to... There's you know every, there's a song if you really like, you'd like to hear it again. Yeah. And because I've got, I think, probably like 20-something hours on my playlist yeah, um, on Spotify, <laughs> it, it doesn't repeat that much. So I get the joy of, I don't want to say rediscovering, but just a, a joy of listening to a song that I like that I haven't heard in a while. Yeah, and you get to remember how good it is. And what's funny to me is, so, all right, so there's a bit of a revival in vinyl music. There has been. And I've got my vinyl records. I took good care of them. Mm-hmm. And I've got them. Uh, we, we pulled them out to play them a bit, right? Yeah. And what's funny to me is how it's so hard to tell of the popular music what would have stuck. And so stuff that at the time would have been considered not so cool, it would have been really pop and really mainstream. Yeah. And the people who were, uh, what's the, the, the I'm thinking hipster? The, the hipster kind of music would have poo-pooed it and said it was Indie, no good. maybe. Um, but not, not indie, because indie's more of a genre. Yeah, hipster, hipster is probably... pretty, just the right word. Okay. Um, so, for example, I have when I pulled out. What, what did you think when I pulled out Toto Four? Oh, that was pretty cool. Right, because yeah, uh, Africa. It, what's crazy to me is how Africa has held up over the years. I remember it okay, holds up. <laughs> so that year in the Grammys, yeah. I think Toto won uh, best record for Rosanna. Yeah, and they just won a bunch of awards, and it was almost as as much of a a scandal as when Christopher Cross won the music because you know the the hipsters the people who are deciding what's supposed to be great music thought they didn't deserve it right yeah and what's interesting to me about Total was always that they were a lot of I think as a group they were mostly studio musicians so they worked on a lot of other people's records Mm -hmm. and this was their project where they got together and did stuff themselves where none of them were really the headliner the group was Mm -hmm. But they got to do stuff that wasn't somebody else's project. Oh, yeah. uh, Alan Parsons' project was like that. Mm. So I don't know if you remember them. I right, don't. So I in the sky. Uh, don't answer me. Okay. Um, I, my regret is I don't actually have any Alan Parsons albums. But see, the thing is, if I'd saved both of those from that time, yeah. What would you have thought if I pulled out an Alan Parsons vinyl? I barely remember. Right. Yeah. But. You know, when you had your friends over and we pulled out the yeah, record Toto player the first time, awesome. everybody was dancing to it, which yeah. is crazy to me because it was so not. It was not just, cool. It was not cool. Yeah, <laughs> to be a total fan, and I still remember that was one of the 
it wasn't the first album I bought, but it was one of the first albums that I bought at almost full price mm-hmm. when it was released because it, it really mattered to me as opposed to waiting for when stuff got cheap. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, it's to, you know me, it's that's a pretty big threshold to hit. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah. Uh, I've got a little bit more in terms of recommendations. Oh, can I mention one other oh, thing? Yeah, it's one funny, more thing. And this is weird to me. There's a Cutting Crew song called... Um, I've been in love before, mm-hmm. and if anybody listening has um, the combination of Spotify with Google Mini or Google Home yeah. or Google Nest or whatever, oh and you ask it to say to play, don't, we're not going to make it because that'll be just awful and we'll have copyright issues. Yeah, but um, if you ask Google, we'll lose a whole dollar. You will lose a whole dollar. <laughs> no, it's true, right? We haven't even been making a dollar on these uh, Q and A's lately. It's actually been just like less than a dollar for That's fine. an it's hour for of our. Yeah, no, for sure. But if you ask it to play Cutting uh, Cutting Crew's uh, I've Been in Love Before, it'll play something. It'll say, okay, playing Love in a Dangerous Time. And then it'll play I've Been in Love Before, which is crazy to me. It's just weird. <laughs> I think like, you find more joy. <laughs> I know, but it's crazy to me because it's the Cutting Crew song that's actually not that popular because they're known for I Died in Your Arms, right? Yeah. Um, so, but I, you know, it's it, it's the same thing where it, maybe it's not as good a song, but it definitely wasn't as popular, so it didn't get overplayed on the radio. Mm-hmm. So I get a little bit more joy each time I hear it. Because I don't know, it's it's almost like each shot. It's like the idea. That, remember the idea that there's uh, movies are better when it takes you closer to death. Who was that? There's that video. Of the YouTubers. Oh, uh, hey Ash, what you playing from the okay. Gone Home episode? So to me, it's like um, a parallel to that, where yeah. if each time you listen to a song, whatever joy you could have had, the more you play yeah. it, it sort of dissolves a little bit of a way. And yeah. how good a song is, is how much it starts how high it starts off and how yeah. well it tolerates uh, being played again and most songs don't have that that, most songs are that, that joke also is worth watching the entire video for because the way that the joke is delivered and I'm just going to butcher it now but it's something like that's like saying Paul Blart Mall Cop is just as good as Casablanca because they're the same length and then the, the dad <laughs> character says no that's like saying watching Paul Blart Mall Cop three times is better than Casablanca Citizen Kane and something else all put together yeah that is which is you know it's, I, I it's think, a wonderful listen, line, very lovingly delivered. It's and it's sort of it feels like a ridiculous concept. But I think there's actually something to it where if it something really gives you that much joy that you yeah. can spend that many hours with it, well, there's it, real value. To it's it. also sort of a criticism of the modern ga- day games industry, which is actually the context that it was used in, where it's like, what is more important, the amount of time that a game gives you for what it costs you, or uh, how good it oh. is, how long you spend thinking okay. about it, how significant so it if, is. So if that's how you value a game, Injustice is the greatest mobile game ever. For you. Sure. For the number of hours that I've put into it where yeah. I've actually enjoyed it, the number of videos we've made on it, the amount of time we spent talking about it, what it's given us yeah, in personally. terms of a YouTube channel, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. There's, there hasn't been a better game than that. So there we go. And before we get fully off onto the next part, we will bring it back to songs just because I have more music to recommend. If you like lo-fi or hip-hop, as somebody who doesn't like rap, like, generally, um, as a genre, but likes specific stuff within rap, everything by Samza is great. Um, Watsky, I would say, is a little more hit or miss than Samza is for me, but Watsky has some really good stuff, too, and I've been listening to him off and on. I would be remiss, I think... Uh, I need to recommend, because we both love this song, and it's really good. It's not an artist, but the song Pantsuit Sasquatch by Molly Lewis oh, is that's good. surprisingly brilliant. Yeah. Um, okay. And I think that's a lot in terms of bands. Right, so you mentioned rap, and there's uh, a serendipitous confluence of events. 
Um, I was just talking to a friend on the way home today, mm-hmm. and we were just talking about he he brought up the topic cultural appropriation. Yeah, and he brought it up in the context of um, people going to uh, a park that's famous for having apple blossoms, and it was somehow like a, a Japanese thing to do. I said that's not cultural appropriation because you just yeah. you're all just appreciating it. There's not yeah. nothing wrong with that. But and there, there's also okay. I'm bringing it back to rapper. Okay. Yeah. So before we get too far in the weeds, so I said, you know, that's not cultural appropriation. I said, vanilla ice is cultural appropriation. Um, and I thought, but all right. So what occurred to me was, this is a question I have for you. Yeah. What's the difference between vanilla ice and M M&M? and M? Is it just quality? Is it how it's progressed from the original origin? I don't origins? know enough about vanilla or, ice. To me, I can't speak to that specific example because I don't have enough context. But the difference for cultural appropriation is, I think the level that you are engaging with it on and the level that the people who initially the the culture that you are borrowing from is engaging with it on so um so is it that he's just good enough and it's like eminem is better like i think there's a lot more people people who can rap it's well they can now it's not inherently cultural appropriation it the thing is it depends on what you're doing right because it that's what I'm talking about, where it depends on your intent, and it depends on what level you're coming at it versus the original people coming at it. And I think, and it depends also, I think, on the popularity. Because if you take something that is not that popular in the mainstream, yeah. and then you take it for yourself... Oops. Call from... Oops. And you take it for yourself. Like So it'd be different if, at the, if rap wasn't that popular. Yeah. And then you brought it as a white person to the masses, mm-hmm. as opposed to... Oh, like hey, rock and is, roll? Like Elvis Presley. Yeah. Right, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, we use that example too. But so that, is it the context? Maybe it's all of it. Maybe it's that the context now is that rap is more popular, that Eminem is, I think, I, I'm willing to say objectively, a better rapper than Vanilla Ice. Mm-hmm. Or if Vanilla Ice if was a rapper. I don't even. <laughs> but, um, so is that it? Because to me, th- there's, there's a big difference, right? No, to me, uh, I'll get back to what I was saying, which is that... Uh, it matters. So I think the thing is something has the opportunity to be cultural appropriation if it's culturally significant, first off, where when something is not culturally significant to other people, there is no sort of way that it turns into cultural appropriation. I think you can use it as a sort of springboard for being racist, but if it's just a food that people might eat, if it's just a thing that some people in a certain culture do and you bring it into your own culture, there's there's nothing for you to turn it into appropriation because there's no way for you to handle it in a way that is less serious or without proper reverence. So that's then it makes it more likely that if, if you're going to have that, that's going to be art. I guess or, it no, depends on... Not even on art. It's what you're taking. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't... It's not cultural appropriation to make other cultures food in almost every case because there is not a specific special cultural significance. It is not like important to them in a identity way where mm. you you take it out of the context and nobody says like if somebody makes a taco nobody says that's cultural appropriation well sure yeah right um but then when you talk about stuff that is um religious stuff that is um identity based stuff that is ritualistic right. it is important to the original people that you were taking it from and then what's important is how significant it is to you right which All right, is so, why so when you're in when you're so you know yeah okay sorry go ahead which is when if it's important to them and you're treating it with an equal level of importance if you are coming into another culture and saying i want to learn about this i want to do it respectfully and then you are uh continuing on the tradition Mm -hmm. as an outsider 
when you sort of study under somebody, right? And you and you learn it that way. Then I think also in pretty much every case, nobody has an issue with that. Right. And the issue that you run into is when there is something that is important to one culture and you are treating it like it's not important, which is why right. racist Halloween costumes, right. right? Even when you're not doing the skin that's, painting, it's important okay. to them. Yeah. You're treating it like it's not important to you. And that's where you right. run into an issue. It's the, the headdress. Yeah. It's the, which... Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, that, that totally makes sense. And to me, that's what I, I talk about with no exception. So when you say Vanilla Ice is cultural appropriation, I don't have the context on the history of rap. I don't know how... Because I know expressing yourself through rap and also coming up and finding some degree of success in rap, right, as a way of removing yourself from really challenging socioeconomic situations, right? Right, right. Um, is and was important. I don't know if rap as a whole was you know, I, I don't know the conceptualization of that. So that's why I can't right. speak to that. And you also have, you know, rappers now like Lil Dicky, right? Who is a white I dude. I don't know. I don't he's know. a white dude and he does like rap as primarily like as comedy where he's joking okay. about it. And the, his, the whole thing is that he's sort of not uh, traditionally what you would expect from a rapper. You've got a bunch of actually um, white people who are doing rap on different levels of sort of funny, like Young Gravy too. Who oh my I, God, you're just you, stuff you can that I you can no argue you can argue how serious he's being about it, but his stuff is silly, um, and you know you can talk ab about quality or whatever you want all day. But I think what at least where rap is now, I don't think it is currently a thing which is considered specifically important to and revered by uh, culture. So I think you you have to come at it at at least the same level of serious or greater when you're coming in as an outsider, and that's right. that's why uh, some things are cultural appropriation and some, some things, things are that are appreciation, yeah. cultural appreciation. Yeah. So if you're if you're coming into it with good intention and you're treating it with at least the same level of respect that the initial culture treats it with, then I think you should be. I don't think you're ever going to be culturally appropriate. Right. That's just where I personally right. fall on it. All right. It's been a good barometer for me. Very good. Yeah. There we go. Uh, we have another question. Yeah. Uh, have either of you read The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak? I've just finished it, and I think it's an incredible novel and a definite recommendation. I like the main story and the bits where death explains death and how it tries to deal with that is so much more cerebral. And I was hooked during those passages so much that it made the main story less interesting as a result. Mm -hmm. uh, I did read The Book Thief. Uh, I do remember enjoying it. Uh, much more than the average book I read for school because they did have to read it for school. Ooh, that usually kills uh, it. And it was a while ago. Yeah, no, so I remember it being pretty good overall. Right. Uh, w a lot of the books you read for school, you end up feeling, like, weird about them tonally, too, especially because The Book Thief is one of those books that is not particularly happy. It's like when you read oh, The Kite okay. Runner, you know, just brutal all the way through. Right. Like, really, really harrowing. Yeah. Um, I didn't get to read The Flower Shire Algernon in school, but I know yeah. that's where I picked it up because I was at a school where they did, and I had a bunch of copies, so I read, remember Flower Shire Algernon? Yeah, I do. Also not like a it. happy book. Not a happy book. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I did enjoy it. I can't speak to many of the details because I don't remember specifically. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about... Do you have anything to say about the book, uh, Thief? I just... Uh, I want to say my problem with reading now is I don't have enough time to read it. I know of the book, Thief, yeah. only because it was so popular. Mm -hmm. And because of that, when... Um, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Marcus Zuzak? Sure. Published his uh, novel, The a Bridge of or Bridge of Clay. Not a. There's no a. There's no preposition there, um, or article. That um, when they the pr publisher released, and this was only a couple of years ago, publisher released uh, a an edition of it that was signed already. 
I thought, oh, I'll just pick it up. And I still haven't read either one of so, them. So I guess that says more about you than... This is what I'm saying. Else. It's pathetic. It's sad, right? Because it, it's the collector mentality coming from comic books mm-hmm. where I feel like as an object, it has value. Um, but also as a reader, the, the, the book, the content has value, whatever form it has, right? Mm-hmm. And that intersection makes me almost compulsively buy books where I th- feel like this would be something interesting to me. And it's something that, you know, when it's, whether it's because it's a special edition, so it's nicer, like it's bound in leather or something, or it's signed by the author, then um, I will pick it up. Even, I've got probably like a dozen books like that where I just, I think they're going to be good. Yeah. But I just haven't had a chance to read them. So there we go. We got Bridge of Clay queued up eventually. I don't think you'll ever read it. I'm going to say that right now. I, I, I don't, think, I doubt you'll get to it. I think, I, I think I will eventually, or I guess... What I'm hoping to is when I retire, the, the eight hours a day I spend commuting and working... That's true. ...will be filled up with reading. I, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. I think there's a good chance I, that you will never read it. I'm not 100% sure either, but I'm glad that if I'm going to have spent money on a, a, uh, an object... I hope an you ...an artifact <laughs> like this. I hope so too. Well, I, I guess if it's any good. There's, every once in a while I surprise myself because I'll get on a kick and I'll read a bunch of books and yeah. I'll really like them. I remember, you know, the only reason I read... Um, the Lies of Locke Lamora yeah. by Scott Lynch, which was a great a good book. book. You know why I read it? Why'd you read it? Because Real the, Fantasy Convention? The limited edition was on sale. Oh, okay. And it was on sale for less than half price. And I picked it up as an object. And I thought, oh, I should probably read it. And I read it one of those weekends when you were doing your um, Taekwondo. Mm. Oh, that was a long it, time ago. Yes, it was. So that was way before the World Fantasy Convention. Yeah. And I was just, uh, and it was only because the limited edition was on sale. I picked it up and I just got on a kick and then I read the whole whole series. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's try to get through these last few a little bit quicker because I we won't even get through all of them if we don't go quicker. <laughs> That's um, true. So the next one is uh, sort of a follow-up to two weeks ago now at this point, uh, which is also with Boris Johnson being my prime minister, I understand why people think he's a bit of an idiot, but I'd blame his advisors more for his apparent lack of understanding slash carelessness in regards to coronavirus. And uh, I think to sum everything that we could say about this up pretty briefly, uh, his advisors probably didn't do a good job. Uh, He also has to independently personally himself not do a good job to be so... Uh, instead of just dismissive of it, sort of like actively uh, championing uh, being right. unsafe, right. right? And I think that level yeah. says something about him as a person, and it's a that ties into his personality because none of his advisors said not only should you protect, like act like this is not a big deal, you should make a point of touching more things than you need to right. on purpose. Right, I mean, that has to come from him. So it, it's hand in hand, I think. Right, like I mean. Being Boris Johnson, Prime Minister of the UK, is as big a job as you can get. And there's a, a lot of, um, I don't know, it's not, there's a lot of cachet. There's a, there's a certain authority that comes with it. He gets a lot of power to make decisions. Yeah. He gets a lot of benefits from being at very much like Donald Trump. So no matter how um, much you, can, you want to blame the advisors, I think if you're going to take, if you're going to get the power, you need yeah. to take responsibility for it too. So ultimately, the you know it's a cliche, but the buck stops with him. Mm-hmm. So even if he has the worst advisors, it was his mistake listening to them. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Uh, next one in terms of coronavirus, I'm betting the whole COVID nineteen thing will die out, and people will start calling it Wuhan coronavirus or some such term, in the same way Ebola is named after the river. 
due to the fact that top-down terms don't seem to stick very well. And also, the fact it has numbers in it may even reduce its longevity, because if we get a COVID-22 or a COVID-35, it's going to be better to have a more simple term. I was listening to a podcast called Word of Mouth. It's very interesting, and it deals with all kinds of language, from the history of slang to the semantics of disease naming. It's a very good half-an-hour listen, and there's a large back catalog you can get into if you're interested. First off, always looking for new podcasts. You know, I'm about to have a lot more time, so might yeah. have to might have to check that out. I, I have two words for that. Gretchen McCullough. Yeah, Lingthusiasm. Yes. Wow. Didn't pronounce that very well for uh, <laughs> talking about linguistics well, podcasts, but that's fine. Her her book, too, is great. Yeah. Uh, uh, and in terms of uh, the numbering thing, I think that might be a little bit less of an issue, just because, you know, it's COVID-19. We're going to get one year at most. Yeah. Um, And the fact that it was the tail end of 2019 means, you know, we'll get them maybe closer spaced if there's a different one but right. fingers crossed that we don't keep having to name new covids um every... like, like world wars yeah um and i guess the other thing too is it's weird right the whole way that this has been named right where covid right. is saying basically coronavirus right, right. It, the the main information contained by covid19 is coronavirus 2019 right those are well, the, sort of the... so covid19 is the disease yeah. the actual virus is sars-cov-2 yeah. So it's the second SARS virus, mm-hmm. uh, SARS coronavirus, and the first yeah. one was in 2003. And the whole thing about how coronavirus isn't actually, you know, what a lot of people are calling it is just a very general thing. It's a group. It's a, yeah. A, a, it's like influenza is a, a large group of viruses. Coronaviruses, typically, um, the ones that we have the most experience with cause the common cold, I think. It would be, this is like the equivalent of if an animal escaped from the zoo. If an elephant escaped from the zoo, and some people were calling it William the Elephant escaped from the zoo, some people were saying an elephant escaped from the zoo, and then some people said an animal has escaped from the zoo, where we're talking about it on a lot of different levels, and some of them are more or less useful than others, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's it's interesting. I think if anything doesn't survive, it's probably just going to be coronavirus, but it's also one of the easiest things to just say. Well, it right? works from right? COVID. Yeah, from an informational standpoint, though, coronavirus tells you the least about it. Right. Right? But COVID-19 tells you a lot. COVID-19 tells you everything about it because it's it's unambiguous what you're talking about. And I think Wuhan coronavirus is actually harder than just saying COVID. COVID-19. Yeah, because it's easy to say and I think the, the difficulty with a lot of the top-down stuff is if there, it's not done systemically, absolutely, I agree. Yeah. When somebody tries to make you call it something else, it doesn't stick. But if there's if it's systemic and then they stick to the um, nomenclature with subsequent, it's like the hurricanes, right? Mm-hmm. If they stick with the nomenclature, then yeah, I think it'll actually stick. We still remember um, the the big uh, hurricanes, for example, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the, you don't go through all of them when you have to go through each letter of the alphabet. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I I, I don't I, know. We'll see. I don't think coronavirus is going to stick necessarily. I think COVID nineteen will. I don't think COVID nineteen is going to stick. I think just COVID. I think that that's the thing about it is that in vernacular we don't refer to anything else as covid right and the the 19 is sort of it's information but it's not strictly necessary i've heard a lot of people say just covid without covid 19 without that, the number i think that'll be like the great war i mean my feeling is that there's going to be there's a potential for other coronaviruses yeah and then once the next one comes we'll see and we'll then we might have numbers. to put the number on it but i yeah. hopefully by the time the next one comes we're, we've stopped talking about this one so i think yeah. for the meantime what i've seen most sort of enduring is just covid by itself because it's the quickest it's the easiest to say and it is also the least ambiguous right in terms of like covid and coronavirus are, I think, the two easiest ones uh, to express. 
Right. And of course, if you've watched a linguistics podcast, it's entirely possible there's a lot of precedent that we aren't taking into account, uh, and a lack of information that we have compared to that. Uh, I would have to uh, listen to that before I was willing to make a really strong stance. But based on absolutely no information except my own intuition, I'll I'll stake uh, my bet on COVID just by itself. I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to go there with a a slight leaning towards the number as long as, you know, it's hard to predict the future. But if there's other COVIDs, then I think um, the Mm -hmm. 19 will stick too. So there we go. We are not going to have enough time uh, to to get through all these questions and move on to something else. And the last question is something that we could talk about for a while. I think maybe we'll see about putting footage on the end so we can talk for at least a few minutes. Well, listen, we can answer this really quickly. I think it's, there's a short answer for it. Uh, Okay. So last, last part of this question that has spanned two weeks worth of uh questions uh also what is your opinion on china in general and also wet markets personally i'm not a fan of a communist dictatorship and wet markets are incredibly disgusting and should definitely be made to shut down before large amounts of trading resume which is what i heard the u.s are trying to pressure china to do uh three words eat the rich it's easy to blame china it's easy to blame the people who are working the wet markets yeah but where you really, I, to me, you really want to focus on the demand, and the, the demand is people who have too much money on their hands, yeah, and want to eat exotic animals and want to eat them fresh. Yeah, and obviously, wet markets are bad, just from a purely like epidemi- epidemiological standpoint. I don't know mm-hmm. if I whatever. Um, they're they're not good for uh, public health and safety, right? And we shouldn't right. have them. And I think that's just a right. fact thing, where it's like the the same thing about like. Um, lax gun laws in the U.S. are bad from a health from a health and safety perspective, right. and it doesn't really matter what any one person thinks about them. Uh, so yeah, I don't I don't think the world has a place for wet markets, especially because they're not like a well established cultural tradition. It is a relatively recent thing that has come out of like legislation. Right. Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah, I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, it's it. it they're come from wildlife farming there's a vox video on it so i also might be just talking out of my ass there but there, it's not like a long-standing cultural tradition thing it's not something that is really important to a, like wide swath of people in terms of china uh in general i mean we, you can't talk about the citizens because citizens are always a very heterogeneous group right right um and i think there's definitely some a, a good number of fair criticisms in the government and just the government as right. a whole and the type of thing that they're doing in china not great so I guess that's right. That's my opinion as succinctly as possible. Yeah, I mean, it's always harder to outside looking in. Yeah. I mean, it's harder to have a, a good, accurate opinion, but it's easy to have an opinion. It's always easy to have an opinion. Yeah. I think you could, the same criticism, for example, would be leveled at the U.S. right now. Yeah. When we see what's happening. Oh, and I would. I would yeah. level the same criticism against the U.S. right now. Yeah, and the idea that you can have um, rich people controlling basically whatever they want yeah uh and the fact that they're basically just trying to lean on like the people that they've already let accumulate a massive amount of money to be a sort of like stopgap social welfare like we shouldn't have to rely on like mark cuban like continuing to pay his uh yeah pay all of his workers right uh to have people you know remain in their homes and able to pay rent so this turned out to be the stelmaria episode there we go Thank you very much. And there was another Stelmari question from this week that we'd had at the tail end. So we've got a bunch oh, of questions. Oh, we're never going to get through. It's well, just going to be Stelmaria for... Well, no, but we've got a few in item. between. So. That's true. Yeah. Um, but thank you mm-hmm. um, for helping us. Yeah. Uh, so to finish up, we have some people to thank. Uh, a shout out to Eliza Lyburns Caton. Uh, she went into work and got a bunch of skin burns from Lie. Ooh. Unpleasant. 
That's bad, what you bu- bad chemical handling. That's what you do to destroy bodies when you bury them, isn't it? Yeah. To keep animals from. And that's what at she them. did to destroy her body, but accidentally. Ooh. Yeah. There we go. She, I hope she gets better soon. Yeah. Th- this shout out has been brought to you by I- I skin burns. I don't know. What? Whatever. <laughs> aloe vera like. gel. Oh yeah. This. <laughs> Aloe vera is aloe vera good for lye? I wouldn't know. It's good for soothing the skin. That's true, but it might be bad for lye. I don't know what chemical reaction is happening. In I there. think the idea is that you wash off the lye first before you do that's anything, true. and then help the skin heal. The lye's probably still not in her burns. That would not. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. that's probably a safe assumption. Right. Uh, we'd also like to thank the people who have been and continue to support us on Patreon. That would be Consul Peasant and Ed Woon at the top tier last word, Muhammad Abshadi, your message here tier, Sean Farrell, Daniel Simonson, Aaron Maul, Michael DeVries, and Brandon C. Supporting us at the credit level and Chris Wolf and Scarlet NB at the gratitude level. There we go. Thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for your support. We'll see you next time. Komoda. Komoda.